Welcome back. Another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trenton Biz with you as we talk the world of Hawkeye athletics. It was a bye week, and that means it is time to get ready for the Badgers. Up next for the Hawkeyes basketball season underway as well. I with the dominating exhibition victory as they kick, kick off the regular season on Friday night against SIU Edwardsville. Biz, what's happening? What's happening is we, we are significantly better than Lindsey Wilson College. They just can't hang with us. So, you know, we, we, with the Hawk bye week, we had a bye week as well. So it's been a couple weeks. So we, we should have plenty to talk about. Uh, you know, as boring as that Iowa Northwestern game was, I think it was good for us to take a week off because I'm not sure we could have filled much airtime talking about that game. It was, uh, you know, anytime you win by 20, you should never complain, but uh, man, was that boring football. It was 20 to nothing the final in the win against Northwestern Iowa. Did what they had to do. I know there were some people a little a bit upset, fired up that you know, late in the first half, two different times that Iowa didn't go for it on fourth down in plus territory, but the way that game was going, the way Northwestern had been playing, Kirk Ferentz made the right decisions in both those spots. Yeah, especially given the uh, the flaws that our offense have shown over the uh, the weeks before that as well. I mean, it, it's frustrating, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. It was they're probably the right calls, but doesn't make them the uh, doesn't make them the fun calls. Put it that way. No doubt, the defense though with another shutout. The numbers ridiculous on the defensive side of the football. They're putting up numbers uh, very good historically. So let's dive right in. Let's go positive here off the bat. Stat boy hard at work, even with the bye week, as he's came up with some info talking about the greatest defenses in Iowa football. Well, when you're talking historical, Trent, obviously that is that is right in Stat Boy's wheelhouse. So I figured with yet another shutout last week, which was uh, the fourth shutout in what eight Big Ten games, it's time to do kind of a. Uh, uh, ode to Phil Parker. The, the guy is just absolutely amazing. You know, and especially, I don't know how much football you watched last week, Trent, during the bye week, but, you know, you watch teams, you know, blue, bo- blue blood to college football, like, you know, North Nebraska, Florida State, USC, and you watch them, and they're just horrific fundamentally on, on the uh, the defensive side of the ball. They're, uh, you know, they don't tackle, they don't uh, do assignment football, they're not in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, assignment football is not sexy, but Phil Parker is absolutely amazing at what he's done. You know, you look at our defense right now, Trent, we've got one kind of once-in-a-decade talent in, in A.J. Epinesa, but everybody else across the board, you know, we're not going to awe anybody with our defensive athleticism. Guys like Ojemudia, Welch, Kerner, Reef, I mean, they're system guys. They're guys that, uh, you know, they, they buy into the system. They're really good at it. They do what they're supposed to do. They're at the right places in the right time, and and uh, Parker can trust them. So, you know, the, the question is, Trent, you know, defense has been awful good through eight weeks. Uh, how good has it been? So uh, I put Stat Boy on the job to compare it to the other, uh, the other 20 uh, defenses that, that Parker's been involved in, and uh, the two Parkers, really. You got, you got Phil and Norm combined. But uh, you ready to hop in the time machine and see if this can be the, uh, the best of the Ferentz era? Yeah, I think uh, right off the bat, when you talk about the great defenses of the Ferentz era, 
I, I think the 2004 team certainly jumps to my mind. So interesting to see where statistically everything measures up. Yeah, and that's the one that I always kind of think back to also that three-year stretch that, you know, 2002 and then especially the 03 and 04. I mean, those 03 and 04 defenses, in my mind, were just truly dominant. And when you look at the numbers, it, it probably had inflated their dominance a little bit. So what I did is I, I had Statboy break down five different categories for me, um, and we'll go through each of the five. One is, is points per game allowed. One is rushing yards per game. Or number two is rushing yards per game. The third, passing yards per game. Fourth, total yards per game. And fifth, turnovers forced. So let's start with points per game. Um, I think everybody knows, or if they don't, they're going to know, that this is the uh, the lowest that Iowa's ever been. 10.1 per game after eight um, after eight games, which not only is the, the lowest in the Ferentz era, but easily the lowest. I, I did not realize that... Uh, only one other time as a Ferentz defense had a yearly average where they held teams under 15 points per game. You, you, you want to guess what year that would have been? I would say 2004. You would be incorrect. 2004 is actually the sixth best of all time and averaged 17.6. Um, 2008 uh, is the, uh, the standard bearer at this point. They averaged giving up 13 points a game that year. Um, We'll see, I guess, over the next four games if this defense can hold up and, and, and stay below 13 because, you know, clearly that 10.1 is a little bit of a product of playing three or four just absolutely atrocious offenses. And we're going to get a little more uh, offensively uh, able teams these last four weeks. But uh, they've got a three-point advantage going in with four weeks to go. Um, the other top teams after the 2018 to 13 – You've got the 2009 team averaged 15.4, 2003 team 16.2, 2004 team averaged 17.6, and then you've got a jumble in there of 18 and 19. The amazing thing is, kind of, this is the true ode to the, the Parkers and their defensive dominance. Twelve times in 20 years have we held opponents to a season average of under 20 points per game. In today's football and the way that the evolution we've seen in football, it's absolutely incredible. It's incredible to be able to do it at a place like Iowa. Tip of the ball cap to the Parkers. Well, and it's really, 12, you know, realistically, it's 12 out of 17 years, Trent, because those first three years, I mean, good God, was our defense bad those first two years. Mm -hmm. 99 and 2000, the 99 team averaged giving up 245 rushing yards per game and over 460 yards total per game. Uh, it wasn't until that fourth year that the defense really uh, hit its stride. So 12 out of the last 17 years, and unless things fall apart, we're looking at 13 out of the last 18 years at 20 or under. So uh, awful impressive. So that's category one. So when you, when you look at the first category, we're, we're the best of all time. Jump to rushing yards per game. And, and I was surprised by this. We, the current team is averaging giving up 87.8 yards per game. I thought there would be at least three or four teams that were under that number, but uh, that's not the case. Only one other team has, has held uh, opposing offenses to under 88 yards per, uh, per rush. That was the, uh, the 2002 year, averaged 81.9 yards per game on the ground. Uh, so, again, this, uh, 
Current, current uh, team stacks up pretty well. You look at the second best uh, rush defense that, that we've had over 21 years, and uh, this will come as no shock to you, Trent. But uh, it's pretty simple. Um, when Iowa stops people from running the ball, that's when they have their really, really good years. The uh, top six years for our rush defense: 02, 03, 04, 08, 2009. So. Uh, some of the best years in Iowa football. When you stop the run, uh, it's usually a, a recipe for a, a good program. So, number one yards point per game, number two in rushing per game. So, uh, off to a good start. The only uh, outlier there, I guess, would have to be the 2015 team. Any idea where they stack up here in comparison to the other team uh, that finished in the top ten nationally? They were, they were ninth rushing yards per game, and kind of across the board, that 2015 team was uh, a good but not great defense. They were 14th overall in points per game, 9th in rushing per game, 14th in passing per game, 10th in total yards per game. Um, they did create more turnovers. than the, uh, They were 5th in turnovers. So, uh, But uh, a good but not great defense, uh, which, you know, as we look back at that year, I mean, that team uh, – Clearly, uh, benefited from some luck in some certain situations, but uh, they were not what I would call, I guess, an elite defense. So. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So, what else you got for us here with the statistics? Well, the passing yards again they match up very favorably in the passing category as well, giving up one seventy-eight point one, which is the fourth best in the Ferentz era. Uh, the top three were two thousand nine. And then two odd years, 2013 and 2014, um, were two of the better passing defenses. But that was uh, mostly due to a product of, of they could not stop anybody running the ball. They were terrible running defenses, so nobody had to pass the ball. So the only real good defense that allowed less passing yards per game was that 09 group, um, which averaged an amazing 152.9 passing yards per game. Jeez. And that's... Uh, over 20 yards better than, than the second-best year. So uh, pretty impressive, uh, the 9 team. Uh, there's a reason that team went on to uh, play in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> 150 yards a game through the – I mean, just, wow. Uh, uh, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Step Boy, got anything else? Total yards. Trent, add them up, total yards. This is the best defense in the fairness era from total yards right now. Or at least, uh, again, with four, four games to go, they've got a bit of a buffer. They're averaging giving up 265.9, which is 10 yards better than the, uh, the all-time best. The 2019 average 276.5. So, again, I think we both agree that number is going to go up over the next four weeks, but can they keep it uh, under 276.5? That will be the, uh, the best defense of all time from a, from a total yard standpoint, which, again, like you said, in today's football, that's pretty impressive because uh, – Across the board, teams are uh, gaining more and more yards, but our defenses continue to uh, stay pretty steady. Good stuff there. Uh, it'll be a ramp-up in competition. Certainly here over the next couple of weeks, Wisconsin on deck, obviously, this week, followed by a home date with the Gophers coming in to Kinnick Stadium. So this defense is measuring up historically. Now we look at the matchup with this week's game and the reason that I have a lot of concerns is the other side of the football. That is the offense. Biz, how do the Hawkeyes score? <laughs> That's a great question, Trent. Uh, you know, I keep – every time I start thinking about this Wisconsin game, I, uh, I have 
nightmares or flashbacks to the uh, the 2017 trip to Madison. Um, you know, that was an absolute debacle. And I just, I think about how they confused us, and I'm just not sure that we have the personnel to avoid that same scenario. I mean, are we going to get more than 66 yards on offense? I, I certainly hope so. But, uh, you know, you think back to that game, how did they, you know, they confused us with what I thought to be some pretty basic stunts and, you know, blitzing from different areas. And, you know, Wisconsin is, is one of the best in the nation at disguising defenses and bringing four from different areas. And as we've seen, that's not been our strong suit at picking up those type of disguised uh, blitzes and stunts. So, but you're not going to get a lot of optimism for me on uh, looking at this week, Trent. But that's why I wanted the optimism on the uh, the, the ode to Phil Parker. That was, that was uh, this week's optimistic part of the uh, the podcast. So turning the page to the Wisconsin game, uh, not a lot of optimism. But, you know, I, I guess uh, what, what what's your keys to victory, Trent? What do we got to do? Oh, Kyler Schott needs to come back, and he needs to be certainly better than anything that we've seen at the guard position. You know, and – I know it's crazy to have any kind of semblance of a hope that we're going to see something like we saw two years ago against Ohio State or anything like that. But, you know, that game, they were taking shots, and it started through the air, and then that opened up holes in the running game. They were going up against a defensive front. And I know Bosa got ejected from that game there in the second quarter, but that defensive front looked as good as anybody in college football, yet Iowa was able to control the line of scrimmage against that great front. I think it starts, you got to make some plays up the field. you got to loosen this team up in whatever way possible. And is that crossing routes and getting Tyrone Tracy involved in that direction again, going with him, using that speed and athleticism, getting Tyler Goodson out in space and see if he can do something there. I'm just trying to figure out ways that they're going to be able to do that. And the other thing, even if you go back to last year, and Iowa had so many opportunities to win that game against the Badgers, but they just line up and they're so physical. I don't I, – I, I, I'm trying to figure out the way not just to slow them down because I think they can slow them down offensively and running the football, but stop them. Can I would do that because that gives me the only hope that not that eh, you held them to 150 yards on the ground and no, that you really slowed them down and, and you look up and Taylor's got 22 carries for 58 yards, something like that. Is that even plausible? Yeah, I think it is actually. Um, you know, you look at historically – other than that 2017 year, we've generally done a pretty good job at slowing down Wisconsin offenses. I mean, you know what you're going to get with them. Uh, we've had two weeks to prepare for it. I mean, I don't see them coming out and pushing us around the field by any means. I just, uh, my big worry is, you know, that they're just a better football team than us. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I hate to say that, it, it's, you know, it's depressing to say, but over the last, whatever, five to ten years, Wisconsin just simply has been a better football team than us, and that's the fact of the matter. And when you've got a better football team playing at home, and they're, what, this total season is a ridiculous, like 129 to 14, they've outscored teams, I think, and uh, I can't brand a lot. I just, we're going to have to play really, really, really good football to win this game. I think people kind of, uh, you know, with Wisconsin losing two in a row, people kind of pretend that this is not a good Wisconsin team. They were uh, a juggernaut for six weeks. And so, you know, I just, again, I don't have a lot of optimism. I do think there's 
in my mind, there's, there's four things we have to do to have any chance to win. So you, you ready to, uh, to hit those four things? Come up with them because I'm struggling over here. Well, the first one is, is actually last on my list, but it's the one you already talked about. Um, you know, we've got to be – I think we have to be more of a pass-oriented team against them and, and take some shots. To me, you got to almost copy the Mississippi State game plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were more pass-first against Mississippi State. We didn't give up on the run, but we clearly uh, – realized pretty quickly, you know, we weren't just going to run up the middle on Mississippi State. And we designed a lot of ways to get the ball out of Stanley's hands quickly. You know, I think we need to kind of copy that game plan. So that, that's number one. Number two, I think you, it's simple, but you got to finish drives. We haven't done that all year, so I'm not optimistic we will. But you know, even if we play well, you're only going to get you know, four or five chances probably where you're, where you're driving on Wisconsin. you, you got to find a way to score, you know, at least two or three touchdowns out of those drives. So take advantage of the, the times you get opportunities. Um, and then three along those same lines, you got to win the field position battle. I don't see any way we beat them unless uh, we can get some short drives. We're, we're not going to consistently go 80, 85 yards on Wisconsin. So, you know, Michael Sleep Dalton is going to play a huge role, I think. We need to flip the field on them a bunch. Even if you don't score, if you can flip the field and make them go 80, 90 yards, I don't think they'll do that consistently on us. So win the field position battle, and then the last one is the most obvious and simple uh, one that applies to all games. you got to win special teams and turnovers. I mean, the two games we lost this year were minus five in the turnover battle. Last year we lost to Wisconsin because we were a train wreck in special teams. you got to win those, those basic areas. So... That's all we got to do, Trent. You got you got to pass the ball well, finish drives, win field position, and, and win special teams, and don't turn the ball over. So that's it. That's it. That's all it's going to take to win this one. Here's the good news. Certainly, uh, when you talk about special teams, Iowa, they have a decided advantage. It feels like in the kicking game, Wisconsin's kicker has already missed four field goals this year. Uh, he is one of three from between thirty and thirty-nine. One of two from forty to forty-nine, and zero for one from deep. So. There's an opportunity there maybe to tighten things up uh, when you look at that statistically. You know, the punting game, you mentioned Sleep Dalton. I like that one here. And he, Just make Jack Cohen beat you. Don't, don't let it be Jonathan Taylor left, Jonathan Taylor right. Just if, if Cephas is making plays, if Ferguson up the seams catching balls, tip your ball cap. But don't let them beat you with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that's, that's easier said than done. It yeah, is. Obviously, everybody's goal when you play Wisconsin is don't let them uh, run the ball. You know, the, the one category that that boy talked, uh, mentioned also that we didn't get to, Trent, but turnovers is the one area that defense has not been very good in. They're, in yeah. fact, they're, they're 20th out of 21 in the, uh, the Ferentz era in turnovers. They only created 10, and they're on pace to create only 15. So I guess that means maybe they're due. Um, and the one flaw that Jonathan Taylor has is he's been fumble prone. So, you know, maybe you uh, force a couple fumbles and, uh, you know, have things go your way. Um, you, you never know. But, uh, again, I'm not coming into this game with, with any optimism at all. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully they, they prove me wrong. So, uh, you know, to me, we talked a little bit about that end of the first half at Northwestern. To me, that was a, a big sign of how this coaching staff feels about this team. Uh, like you said, was it the right choice? Yeah, probably. But if you have any confidence in your offense and you believe that your offense is uh, a, a good offense, you don't be as conservative as we were those last three minutes in the Northwestern, especially the second possession. When, when you uh, 
you force them to punt, you got the ball back with a minute and a half to go, and then you just run up the middle three straight times. So, and that tells me all all I need to know about about what the coaching staff feels in this offense. They they they, they don't have a lot of confidence, that, especially in that interior line to to protect us. So. You know, they've had a couple weeks to design. I hope, like I said, I hope they get the ball out of Stanley's hands quickly. I hope they move the pocket a little bit. I hope they uh, find ways to uh, not let uh, Wisconsin just tee off on him up the middle. Because if they do, it could be a repeat of the Michigan game. Yeah, or a repeat of what we saw two years ago in Camp Randall. Let's hope uh, it isn't anything quite like that. So now that we uh, have everybody down in the dumps, let's talk hoops. Basketball team gets ready for the home opener Friday night. And uh, I don't know what you take away from an exhibition victory against something called Lindsey Wilson, but they won it. And uh, the hype train's starting up early here over in Carver Hawkeye. Uh, any idea, Trent, why we don't play till Friday? I mean, it seems like everybody played either last night or, or tonight. And I guess uh, we're, we're delaying our start for, for no good reason. But the. Uh... Yeah, it's. I don't think you can take away anything from playing a college uh, named Lindsey Wilson. But uh, the main main positive of that is I don't think anybody got hurt, and I think uh, I don't know if we shot the ball really well. It sounds like C.J. Frederick played really well, which uh, you know we've talked in the past. I was never an Isaiah Moss fan, so if, mm-hmm. if C.J. Frederick can play a lick of defense, I still think it could potentially be addition by subtraction with with Isaiah Moss being gone. So. I think so, too. Uh, and what you hear about Frederick is this is not Brady Ellingson. This seems to be somebody that has more athleticism, more bounce to his step, and confidence is going to be a big part. You know, we've we've seen this so many times in the past. The two-guard shooter that's come in there, and for whatever reason, from Oglesby on down, they just haven't been able to gain confidence, and, and they get into a funk. Can't afford that here, but if Frederick can be consistent out there, he can knock down shots and he has the athleticism and the smarts to be a plus defender on that end of the floor. I think you really have something there. Bohannon remains the big question mark. And, you know, as after we got the first kind of report, hey, he's going to give it a go. And we had media day over in Iowa City, and it sounded like he was certainly going to give it a shot. Listening to Fran and what Bohannon said after the exhibition game, I'm not as optimistic we're going to see him out there for the full season now. Yeah, I, I'm kind of giving up guessing on that because I've heard rumors from people in the athletic department that he was definitely going to play, and then now it's kind of wavered back and forth. But, uh, yeah, I, I I hope they make the decision sooner rather than later. I think it's one of those things where it's time to, you know, for his own sake, either uh, be all in or, or decide to pull the plug and, and wait till next year because uh, this team doesn't need that hanging over their heads, you know, Will he or won't he? Over, you know, they've got enough things going on, and the schedule's tough enough early on. They need they need to know who's going to be there relatively quickly. That they do. Uh, Evelyn, a new guy out there, not a whole lot overall. And uh, the reports of Joe Toussaint being fast appear to be right. Maybe he needs to slow down a little bit at times. Yeah, he sounds like he didn't uh, finish all that well. But uh, the speed aspect uh, is. You know, something we certainly haven't had over the last three, four years, so it can't be a bad thing. But let's get to the point here, Trent. Are, are we going to add another uh, another future Hawkeye next week? Do we have any chance of getting Xavier Foster? I, I think Xavier Foster. It's fifty-fifty, and not fifty-fifty in terms of 
either will or won't. No, actually, I still don't think a decision has been made. I, I don't think he knows himself what he's going to do. There's all kinds of rumors out there. It, it is funny talking to the people on the national scene. The national people believe that he's going to be a Hawkeye. You talk to you know the rivals guys and people like that and crystal balls over at 24-7. That's decidedly Iowa. But the people here more on the local front, both on the Hawkeye and Cyclone beat, more feel like he's going to be a Cyclone here. It's difficult to get a good read. He has a lot more connections to Iowa City. It would improve this recruiting class, no doubt. But Iowa State, they just paired away a couple of guys, a couple of freshmen that weren't going to play this year. They're off, and a couple of open scholarships came out of that. I don't know. If I had to make a bet right now, even money on both sides, I think I'd pick the Cyclones. I, I don't pretend to be as connected in, in recruiting or talk to people one-tenth as much as you do, um, but I guess if you just look at it objectively, I'd be shocked if he's not a Cyclone. I mean, you just look at it, which team has a better track record dealing with players that are one- or two-year players? It's clearly Iowa State. If you look at who has a better track record of, of developing post players over the last few years, it's Iowa State. And if you look at a better, has a better track record of getting guys to NBA rosters, it's clearly Iowa State. So I just, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I certainly hope he's a Hawkeye. But uh, when you look at it objectively, I, I guess I don't see a lot of uh, pros and uh, positives in the Iowa side when, when you just you know, compare those things. So I'd be interested to know, I guess, why the national guys think that he's uh, going to be a Hawkeye. I don't know if it has something to do with uh, just the, the connections that he has to Iowa City. Maybe that's the piece behind it. Yeah, I, I don't know the justification behind it. Hopefully those national guys are right and the guys on the Hawkeye beat and Cyclone beat are wrong. That's what I'm hoping for, too. They, they need that infusion of talent. I really like Xavier Foster's game. I, I do. And there's plenty of people out there that just look at his statistical profile and say, boy, now th- this guy in Class 3A is struggling. He doesn't even average you know, 16 points a game. How good can he be? He is an absolutely prototypical guy for Fran. What he wants to do, he can step out. He's got length. He has shot-blocking ability. Is he your prototypical post player from back in the day? No, he's not that, but I think he has a lot of tools that would work very well with Fran's system. Well, just for the short term, it would inject some <laughs> positivity and enthusiasm into the recruiting uh, aspects of Iowa basketball, too, because uh, obviously, as we talked about last time, some of the uh, the more recent uh, commitments have been, you know, some somewhat head scratchers, and you know, you get a team that's probably going to struggle some this year, or more likely struggle. So, just going into the year having that kind of uh, positive note to, to lean on certainly can't be a bad thing. Otherwise, I, I think I don't know the way the way social media is. If he ends up being a clone, you're certainly going to get some uh, sky is falling uh, type uh, comments. I think on Iowa basketball. No doubt about that. So as we await his decision, that'll be happening next Monday. We will uh, certainly know more, and we'll get our first look officially. You going to drive over to Oskaloosa and be there in person? No, no, absolutely not. That sounds that does not sound like a good idea. I'm not going to be spending my Monday doing that. Biz, anything else before we get into uh, another round of picks? It was a rough one for you. Anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, let's just skip on the uh, pick breakdown and get right into okay. it. We don't, to, we don't need to talk about my last uh, effort. Well, I had to take the slings and the arrows that came with my awful start to the season and other 
profitable week for me last week. I'm still down on the year, though, uh, $475. But, Biz, you were riding high. You were in the black. You were making money. And the last two weeks we've done picks, you've been dreadful, including an offer last time out. Well, I, I like to lodge a complaint for last time, Trent. Okay. I don't like this early in the week stuff because uh-huh. I was forced to make picks. Uh, I was rushed, and then later in the week, once I realized the weather was going to be terrible all throughout the Midwest, I, in, the, in the HSC, I bet uh, all unders across the board in the Big Ten, and I think I went four and one or five and zero. Oh. So, if we had just waited until Thursday, I probably would have been perfect on the other end. So. If you can uh, adjust that in the standings, that'd be great. I'll look into that. I don't think that complaint will be uh, available, though. All right, I got four four picks this week, including a double banger again. I, I think this one's going to come to fruition. But, of course, the big national game this week, we'll both pick it. It is LSU on the road at Alabama. Six and a half consensus right now in Vegas. See some sevens uh, popped out offshore. What did you uh, put this point spread at first? Six and a half is what I thought of. All right. We'll go with six and a half here. This one, to me, is incredibly easy. I am all about the Crimson Tide. You go back to the press conference at the beginning of the week with Saban. Two different times he mentions during the press conference that LSU is ranked number one. Now, later on, he talks that rankings are important and they don't matter. This is a motivational ploy that Nick Saban does not able, is not able to use very often Though he's not the betting underdog, he is going to say to his team, there are people out there that believe this is a better football team than you. When he's in this spot, his teams are incredibly good. I think Alabama wins this game handily. I think they win it certainly by a couple of scores. With confidence, I'm laying the 6.5, and and I'm putting 150 on this one. I disagree, Trent. I saw an interesting stat that Alabama hardly ever, like over the last 10 years, I think it's, Six times in ten years have they been favored by less than the touchdown at home, and during those six six times, uh, Saban's like one in five, including uh, the last time that LSU uh, came to Alabama as a uh, less than seven point favorite. They, uh, I think, it was 2011. They were six point underdogs then, and they won outright in the, in the nine to six slugfest. So. It, your memory may serve you to believe that, that Saban does well in these situations, but the, uh, the facts uh, tell differently, Trent. So uh, I don't know if LSU wins, but I think this is going to be a back to what these games used to be five, six years ago, an absolute classic that's going to come down to the last five to ten, minute, ten, or ten minutes. So LSU is getting almost a touchdown. Um, I think they've been more battle-tested. They've put a tougher schedule. So give me uh, LSU, the plus six and a half, and I'll put 100 on it, Trent. 100 bucks on LSU as we get started here with the big national game, and we are on opposite sides to get things started. All right, game number two for me, going to the ACC. Last week, Florida State dreadful, and their loss to Miami. Boston College, a dominating performance for them as they ran all over Syracuse. I think this continues again. Willie Taggart fired this week. Now they have to go up to Boston. Going to be cold up there on Chestnut Hill. Laying two points. It almost feels too easy, but I'll put 150 bucks on Boston College and lay the two points. Well, Chad, the one thing I learned from watching games through the bye week last week is uh, outside of uh, Ohio State, the Big Ten is uh, not that great. Um, there's some ugly football being played in the Big Ten uh, on the offensive side. So, uh, I'm going to make it simple, Trent. I've got four other bets, all 100 each, 
and I'm going under on four different Big Ten games. So uh, give me under 47.5 in the Penn State-Minnesota game, under 45.5 in the Illinois-Michigan State game, under 41 in Purdue-Northwestern, and under 38 in the Iowa-Wisconsin game. I think uh, all of those games are going to be somewhat slugfest. They're not going to be pretty football. Um, so give me the under on all four of them, and uh, I'll hope to learn from my, my, my lesson a couple weeks ago when I, when I failed about the Big Ten unders. So haven't you said here, though, that you're usually terrible at these over-unders, that you're going to stay yeah, away I'm, from I'm, these I'm, over-unders? I'm steering into the skid at this point, Trent. All right, so under for 100 bucks on all of these. 47.5 Penn State, Minnesota. Illinois, Michigan State is 45.5. 41 for Purdue at Northwestern and 38 for the Badgers and Hawkeyes. Is that correct? That is correct. Good luck to you. All right, one a other. Lot, a, whole, a whole lot of 20 to 17 games in there, Trent. I, I can buy that, no doubt. All right, let's go to Friday Night Football. Washington hosting Oregon State. You know my affinity for the Beavers, getting 10 I was at Washington big last week. They came up empty for me, but now what is left to play for? Short week. Give me the Beavs plus the 10 at home against Washington for my second $150 pick. And I'll finish up with the double banger. Money line parlay here. We're taking a couple of dogs to win this outright, parlaying it together. It's a $50 wager that will profit $880 if it comes up and put me Back into the black. Part one of this one, Louisville. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this, Chad. I'm assuming there's going to be a completely obscure team involved. I'm going to predict. You know, let's go with Central Michigan involved in this. You know, I like my matchup, but matchup this week is a little messed up. All the games during midweek because of that couldn't go that direction. No, they are both power conference teams. The first one from the ACC. It is Louisville plus six and a half. On the road at Miami, that's plus 210 on the money line. I've been impressed by what Satterfield's been able to do. Just a train wreck of a program a year ago. He's got them relevant. I don't think that Miami team is all that good. Their quarterback play has been bad. Their offensive line has been worse. I'll take Louisville to take a shot there of pulling the outright upset. Now this one, this is a point spread I just don't get. You took the over-under in it. How is Illinois getting 14.5 against Michigan State? Michigan State team that can't score has all kinds of rumors and crazy things happening around the program. 14.5, give me the hot Illini, plus 500 on the money line. You parlay that together, you get it plus 17, uh, what, plus 17.60 on the odds there. Better than 17 to 1 on this bet. I like that it wasn't enough to take the money line on, on just a uh, <laughs> Lovey Smith road game. You, you had to parlay that with another game to. Uh, Make it even more difficult, turn it. Wait, wait, increase your, increase the level of difficulty. But it, but it profits eight hundred and eighty dollars, Biz. You have to do it. <laughs> you really have to. Yeah, when you put it that way, Trent, you'd be a fool not to. Uh, well, we'll be seeing who's laughing after I'm uh, back in the black and you're down there, down a thousand dollars after this week. Ah, uh, this is uh, ready to turn around this week, Trent. Uh, I'm banking on uh, bad Big Ten football to get me back in the. Back in the correct direction. One final time, I'm on, I'm on Oregon State, Boston College, and Alabama, all for 150 and the $50 on the money line parlay with the Illini and the Louisville Cardinal. Biz has got LSU minus six and a half for 100 bucks, and then $400 wagers. Penn State, Minnesota under, Illinois, Michigan State under, Purdue, 
Northwestern under in Iowa, Wisconsin on the under there. Those are our picks. Now it is time for Business Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Business Beat of the day. Okay, here's Business Beat of the day. Well, Trent, for, for this week's uh, business beats, I've got to put on my uh, my angry old man hat, Trent. I haven't done that in a while. So, watching college basketball games last night, more specifically watching uh, the top four teams in the uh, college basketball play, it, it made me long for the, the good old days of college basketball. Uh, part of it's just me getting old, but uh, watching those top four teams play, Trent, I, I didn't know more than about three names on those teams combined. Uh, Back in the day, Trent, back in the mid-'80s, late-'80s, I would have known the entire rosters for the, uh, the top four teams returning. And uh, nowadays, with the one-and-dones, and, uh, you, you literally have to pull out the roster and figure out who is on uh, each team. Other, other than Cassius Winston, there were not many names that, I, uh, that, that jumped to mind last night. So I, I, missed, I missed the good old days, Trent. I know they're not coming back, uh, but uh, – I, I, I wish I wish there was a time when we could go back and, and actually know the players instead of having to uh, figure them out and, and learn new teams every single year, and, and that includes even the Hawks. Uh, the, the, the roster turnover year after year just, just makes me sad. So uh, with that, I'll take off my uh, angry old man hat and uh, you can get off my porch. Sounds good, Biz. With that, uh, well, we hope for some positivity next week, not another clubbing at the hands of the Badgers. Go out there, well, play well. I forgot to tell you, I told you earlier about. I'm going to Madison with Stat Boy this week. He's never he's never been there, so uh, win or lose, I think we'll, we'll have a good time. But uh, it'll be a whole lot more fun to uh, get punched in the face by a Badger fan after a victory than after a loss. Well, uh, Stat Boy is selling you a bill of goods because Stat Boy has been to Camp Randall with me. I totally guessed. I, I, he cleaned. Uh, maybe he didn't. Maybe maybe I'm just. Uh, you're making Again, it up? Old, old, old man that can't remember things, Trent. So. No, we were there in uh, 2003. That was the 27-21 victory when Nate Chandler was awful in the first half. Allegedly, there was an incident in the locker room, Robert Gallery throwing a trash can around, maybe having Chandler uh, by the throw it up against a locker. Come out in the second half, they get it done. Wisconsin had the ball inside the 10-yard line. Bob Sanders made a play late. And Iowa held on 27-21. We also had this elderly couple we bought the tickets from uh, before the game. Uh, elderly, they were probably in their 50s at the time. We were in our early 20s, so it was a little bit different. But uh, they, the lady, after Wisconsin jumped ahead early in the game, a couple of scores, taps me on my knee and says, Hey, you, sh- you sure you don't want your money back for these tickets? After Iowa secures it, I asked her if she wanted a little bit more for the tickets. She huffed and puffed her way out of the stadium. And we were victorious in Camp Randall. So, Stat Boy, maybe he's good luck. He, I believe he's one and zero in Camp Randall. I don't. I'm zero and one. So we'll balance it out. So, but uh, the Badgers fans clearly are not uh, overly enthused about this game. We we were able to find uh, incredibly good tickets for uh, under face value on StubHub, and then I don't think really? the game's even a sellout yet. So, uh, hmm. it's amazing what two losses will do for a program. They're uh, they're not overly enthused about it either, but. Uh, Let's hope they're even more depressed after about 6.30 p.m. on Saturday night. Yeah, look in uh, ESPN. They have that little ticket link there. And get in price right now, 59 bucks to get into Camp Randall. Can't beat that. Well, hopefully plenty of... Which is half the price. The the, the face value for those tickets is 115 bucks a ticket. Jeez. 
Well, hopefully you bring back a victory back to Iowa City. Biz, we will talk about it one way or the other next week. All right, go Hawks.